Would you turn with me in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2? If you could only say it in a few words, how would you describe the Christian life? Or how would you describe God's purpose for our lives? You know, you could do that in a number of ways. You might emphasize our benefits. My sins are forgiven. I'm saved from hell. I'm going to heaven. I'm God's child. I have eternal life. I have an inheritance. Or you might want to emphasize our responsibilities. Love, service, sacrifice, commitment. Or you might want to emphasize our relationship. It's knowing Him, honoring Him, glorifying Him. All of those would be good answers because it's hard to really put that in a concise statement. But I think if you asked Peter that question, he would respond with a very quick answer. If you asked Peter, how would you describe the Christian life? Peter would say, it's following Jesus. You see, for him it all boiled down to that very simple thing, simply following Jesus. And you know, Peter was pretty good at that. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus said to him, follow me, it says he immediately dropped his nets and followed. And for Peter, fishing was not a hobby. That was his livelihood. He gave it up to follow Jesus. In fact, he could later say in Matthew 10, 28, we have left everything and what? Followed you. You know, I get the impression that everywhere Jesus went, Peter was right behind him. And when Jesus stopped, Peter ran into the back of him. When Jesus walked on the water, what did Peter do? Peter said, I'm going to follow Jesus. And he walked on the water. But you know, there was one area where Peter had trouble following Jesus. And that was in the area of suffering. That was in the area of the cross. In Matthew chapter 16, Peter was the first to acknowledge the person of Christ and the last to acknowledge the purpose of Christ. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, good answer. Now let me tell you what kind of Messiah I am. I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter balked. And he rebuked him and said, this shall never happen to you. In Matthew chapter 26, in the garden, the soldiers came to arrest the Lord Jesus. And what does Peter do? He draws his sword because he's going to do whatever it takes to prevent the cross. They arrested Jesus. They took Him to Caiaphas. And there's an interesting phrase in Matthew 26, 58, because when the cross started to become a reality, it says this, Peter followed Him afar off. Peter's been following so long, that's all he knows, and so he's still following, but he's afar off because he's saying, essentially, Lord, I'll follow you anywhere, but not to the cross. And that's confirmed in the courtyard when Peter denied the Lord three times. He was saying, if he's going to a throne, I'll fight for him. But if he's going to a cross... I don't know him. 
You see, Peter was willing to follow, but he had all kinds of misconceptions about where Jesus was going to lead. He was saying, I'll follow you as long as I can tell you where to go. When we were out in Colorado earlier this year, we rented a snowmobile, and it was a lot of fun when I was driving and my wife was on the back. And then near the end of our time, she said, I'd like to drive. And I got on the back, and it wasn't so much fun on the back because I was going, turn here, slow down. You see, that's the way we often are with the Lord Jesus. I'll follow you as long as I'm comfortable. I'll follow you as long as you stay on the nice, smooth, level paths. I'll sit in the back seat as long as you let me drive. But you know, we don't like to confront this fact, but Jesus leads us to the cross. And you can count on that. In fact, in John chapter 21, I'd like you to turn there for just a moment. After this whole experience with the cross and then the resurrection, Jesus came to Peter again. And if you like, he recommissioned Peter. And on this occasion, he makes it very clear to Peter that there will be a cost in following him. John chapter 21, verse 15, Jesus asked the question, do you love me? Verse 16, do you love me? Verse 17, do you love me? And then in verse 18, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. Now this he said, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. He said, Peter, when you get older, somebody's going to gird you and take you notice where you don't want to go. And where is that? To a cross. And then notice what he says at the end of verse 19. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Peter, when you follow me, it's going to mean you're going to be a martyr. It's going to take you to a cross. And having defined the cost, he recommissions Peter. Now, Peter, follow me. You know what Peter did? He followed the Lord Jesus. And tradition tells us that he was crucified upside down on a cross. So if you ask Peter to describe the Christian life, his answer would be, it's following Jesus. And that's what we find him emphasizing in the passage we're going to look at this morning. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 to 25. Notice the end of verse 21. He left us an example for you to follow in his steps. Verse 25. For you were continually strained like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd of your souls. Who's the shepherd? That's the one... We follow. And so Peter is going to emphasize that the Christian life is all about following Jesus. But in this passage, he's not going to go into every area of following Jesus. He's just going to highlight one. He's going to highlight the area where he balked and the area where we so often balk, and that's the area of suffering. That's the area of the cross. In fact, Peter doesn't mess around. He puts it right out front in verse 21. He says, For you have been called for this purpose. What purpose? 
We'll go back to the end of verse 20. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it, this finds favor with God, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you. What's the purpose of a Christian? What has God called you to? He has called you to suffer patiently. You were saved to suffer. Now, not too many people are preaching that today because it doesn't sell. But that's the clear teaching of Scripture. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 38, He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. So you don't follow Jesus with a lawn chair. You follow Jesus with a cross. Jesus said in Luke 14, 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. To the disciples in Mark 10, 39, he said, the cup that I drink, you shall drink and you shall be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. What was the cup? It was the cup of suffering. What was the baptism? It was the baptism of death. And Jesus says, you'll share in this cup. You'll share in this baptism. Paul could say in Galatians 6, 17, I bear on my body the brand marks of Jesus. People who follow Christ take up their cross. They drink the cup that He drank. They are baptized with the baptism He was baptized with. They bear in their bodies the brand marks of Jesus. People who follow Christ can expect to suffer. In fact, Paul said in Philippians 1.29, For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. 1 Thessalonians 3.3, So that no man may, may be disturbed by these afflictions, for you yourselves know that we have been destined for this. Destined for what? Destined for afflictions. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, And indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And so it shouldn't sound strange when Peter says, you've been called for the purpose of suffering. But after giving that as his premise, Peter wants to offer us some encouragement in the area of suffering. And so he introduces Christ to us in three ways. He is our example He is our substitute, and He is our shepherd. First of all, He is our example, verses 21 to 23. Verse 21 says, For you have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in His steps. You were called to suffer for Christ because Christ was called to suffer for you. And Peter says He left you an example. Now, the word example is the Greek word hupogrammos, from which we get our word grammar. It literally means a writing copy. And in that day, teachers would write out letters in bold, bold print, and then the students would take their paper and lay it over that which was called a writing copy, and they would trace over the letters so that they would learn how to write them correctly. Peter says, Jesus is the writing copy. We are to lay our lives on top of His and trace over His life. 
Or as Peter says at the end of this verse, we are to follow in His steps. Like footprints in the snow, we are to follow Him. We're to go where He went. We're to do what He did. It's popular today to wear the bracelet, what would Jesus do? Well, what would Jesus do? What example did He leave? Well, in verses 22 to 23, Peter gives us three distinguishing features about Christ's suffering that is an example to us. And those three features are He suffered undeservedly, He suffered patiently, and He suffered faithfully. First of all, He suffered undeservedly, verse 22, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in His mouth. Now, that's a direct quote from Isaiah 53. And if you'll read through this passage, you'll find that Peter at least five times either quotes or paraphrases Isaiah 53, which is very interesting to me because Peter was an eyewitness of the sufferings of Christ. But when it comes time to describe those sufferings, he goes all the way back 700 years to Isaiah and uses Isaiah's words, the words of Scripture, to describe the suffering of the Lord Jesus. And the first point he makes comes from Isaiah 53, 9, and that is that Christ suffered undeservedly. He committed no sin. His suffering was not something he brought upon himself. It was totally undeserved. 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says he knew no sin. Hebrews 4, 15 says he has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. 1 John 3, 5 says, In Him there is no sin. Hebrews 7, 26 says, He is holy, innocent, undefiled, and separated from sinners. Jesus committed no sin. He was righteous. And not only was He righteous in deed, but He was righteous in word, because the end of verse 22 says, Nor was any deceit found in His mouth. You know, the real test of righteousness is not only in what you do, it's in what comes out of your mouth. Matthew 12, 34 says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James said in James 3, 2, If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man. Well, Jesus was the perfect man. He committed no sin and he spoke no deceit. He never exaggerated. He never stretched the truth. He was absolutely honest in both his life and his word. I mean, imagine that. Jesus never had to say, I'm sorry. Jesus never had to say, forgive me. Jesus never had to say, it was my fault. And yet he suffered which tells us he suffered undeservedly. Secondly, he suffered patiently. Verse 23, And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. And that's from Isaiah 53, 7, where it says, He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shears, so he did not open his mouth. Jesus suffered patiently amidst the mockery and the hatred and the disdain. 
He didn't lash back. In fact, quite the opposite. On the cross, he said, Father, forgive them. And Peter specifically tells us in verse 23 that he uttered no threats. Now, pain usually brings out threats. I had an older brother. We used to fight a lot. And I can remember most of the time when we fought it, when we fought, it ended up the same way. I was on the ground and he was holding me down. And when he was holding me down, I would always say things like, if I ever get up from here... Well, you know, Jesus suffered. And Jesus could have made threats, and he could have kept them. He could have said, wait till I come the next time. In fact, in Matthew 26, 53, he told Peter that he could have called 12 legions of angels. All he had to do was say the word, and it would have happened. But Jesus suffered patiently. You know, we need to understand that Jesus' humility and submission was not an evidence of weakness. It was an evidence of power. We need to reprogram our thinking in this area because retaliation is not strength. Patience is strength. And Jesus set the example for us. He suffered patiently. And then thirdly, he suffered faithfully. The end of verse 23 says, he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. Rather than defending himself, he entrusted himself. He gave the whole situation and himself to the Father. Now that's an act of faith. Even though it seemed like these wrongs were going unnoticed, He kept entrusting them to the Father that He would make things right, that He would vindicate the Lord Jesus. And He did three days later, and He will ultimately in the future. And Peter says, Jesus left us an example to follow in His steps. When you suffer unjustly at the hands of others, God has not called you to be judge, jury, and executioner. He has called you to suffer in faith. He has called you to entrust yourself to God, knowing that in His time, He will judge rightly and justly. You know, we live in a fight-back generation. We want to get even. The moment we think our rights are being violated, we jump up to defend ourselves. We don't know a whole lot of Bible verses, but we know the number of our lawyer. If your food gets delayed, if someone cuts you off in the parking lot, if you're shortchanged at a store, you get hot under the collar and you let everybody know about it. When's the last time you took an injustice and just kept your mouth shut? See, Jesus let God the Father defend him. Let me ask you something. Who can do a better job of getting even, you or God? Jesus entrusted it to the Father. It's His job. It's His business. And as we face suffering, isn't it nice to have Jesus as our example? He suffered undeservedly. He suffered patiently. He suffered faithfully 
And we are to walk in his footprints. But you know, Peter doesn't stop there, and I'm really thankful for that. He doesn't stop after saying Jesus is just an example to us. Because we are not saved by following Jesus' example. If we had to be saved by following Jesus' example, we would all stumble over verse 22, where it says, He committed no sin. We are sinners, and sinners need a Savior. And that's the emphasis of his next point. He goes on to say that Jesus is not only our example, Jesus is our substitute. Verse 24, And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross. And that comes from Isaiah 53, 4. Surely our griefs He Himself bore and our sorrows He carried. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. Jesus was our substitute. All of our sins, all of our transgressions, all of our iniquities were taken off of us and they were placed upon Him. He bore our sins. And as Isaiah says, along with that, He bore our griefs, He bore our sorrows, He bore our chastening, He bore our wounds. Jesus took the suffering that you and I deserved and He died as our substitute. In fact, in those moments on the cross, when the sky turned dark at noon, Jesus received all the punishment for all the sins of all mankind for all time. Imagine that. All the punishment of hell forever was placed upon the Lord Jesus, and He suffered and paid the price for that for you and me. He was our substitute. And why did He do that? Well, verse 24 tells us, And He Himself bore our sins in His body on the cross in order that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Here's the impact the cross had upon us. We die to sin and live to righteousness. Now, apart from Christ, we are dead to righteousness and alive to sin. Apart from Christ, when it comes to doing right, we're dead men. We have no capacity to do it. When it comes to doing wrong, we're very much alive. But because Jesus bore our sins in His body on the cross, He reversed all of that so that we are now dead to sin. Now what does that mean? Well, one thing it means is that we are dead to sin's penalty. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So if you have sinned, you have committed a capital offense. doesn't matter if you've done one sin or a million sins, you have committed a capital offense, and you can't put in some community service hours to make up for it. You can't cop a plea bargain. Your sentence has already been set, and you are on death row. But someone has willingly stepped forward and died in your place. You have a substitute. And so if you have accepted Jesus as your sacrifice, then legally speaking, sin cannot point a finger at you because in relation to sin's penalty, you are already dead. And you can't execute a dead man. 
You are dead to sin in relation to sin's penalty. Secondly, you are dead to sin in relation to sin's power. You see, we are no longer slaves to sin. We are no longer under sin's control. Sin still barks orders at us. But in Christ, we are dead to that sin. When sin says jump, I don't have to say how high. Because I'm no longer under its control. I am in Christ, dead to sin. And he goes on to say, we are alive to righteousness. We're not only dead to our old way of sin, we are alive to a new way of righteousness. I now have a capacity that I didn't have before to do right. I not only have the capacity to say no to sin, I now have the capacity to say yes to God. And then he adds at the end of verse 24 a phrase from Isaiah 53, for by his wounds you were healed. What is the antidote for the disease of sin? It's the wounds in the body of Jesus. And that's why the agony and suffering of Christ on the cross is so precious to us. Because that's what brought about our healing. And what kind of healing is Peter talking about when he quotes here from Isaiah 53, 5? He's talking about spiritual healing. He's talking about the fact that Jesus has taken us from spiritual death to spiritual life. You know, it's popular today to wear crosses. Even non-Christians wear crosses. Madonna wears crosses. And if you ask someone, well, why are you wearing a cross? They would say, well, it's a symbol of peace. It's a symbol of love. Now, that's interesting to me because in the first century, the cross was a symbol of execution. In fact, it was the cruelest form of execution imaginable. Wearing a cross would be like wearing a little electric chair or or wearing a machine gun or, or wearing a hangman's noose. It was a form of execution. Now, what turned something so offensive into a symbol of love? Well, it wasn't a symbol of love until Jesus died on it. And his death there, as our substitute, brought us life. And Peter says, quoting from Isaiah, by his wounds we are healed. Jesus is our substitute. But thirdly, Jesus is our shepherd, verse 25. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All of us like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. Now, I'm no expert in sheep, but I'm told that sheep are not real bright animals. In fact, they tend to do only one thing well, and that's stray. And apparently they don't learn very easily. And and maybe that's why, you know, when you go to the circus, you see... uh, the lions and you see the tigers and you see the elephants and they're all trained and they all do tricks. You go to the zoo and we always like to see the sea lion show. You don't go to the zoo and see the sheep show. Because sheep are pretty stupid. Okay, They, they can't really learn tricks. 
They don't have any show to put on. And that's why it's interesting to me that in Scripture, what animal is it that God likens us to? Well, it's sheep. Because we don't learn very easily and we tend to stray. Nora had, uh, Nora Lawrence had both of her knees replaced. And when she was in the hospital, they looked, put a little wristband on, a little bracelet on her, and, and it said PTF. And she asked the nurse, what does that mean? And the nurse said, prone to fall. And I thought, you know, we could put one of those on every one of us. Because spiritually speaking, we are prone to fall. We are prone to wander. And that's why as sheep, we need a shepherd. Because we're all prone to go our own way. We're all prone to wander. But Jesus is our shepherd. And he wants to lead us. He wants us to follow him. And the picture Peter paints in verse 25 is of us as previously wandering, but now we have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of our souls. Jesus is our shepherd. And you want to know something? He's an easy shepherd to follow. Because as he says in John chapter 10, he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. We follow in the footprints of Jesus, and you know what? They are blood-stained footprints because we follow the wounded shepherd. And let me tell you something this morning. Jesus will never lead you where he has not already been. He will never leave, lead you where he has not already been. But let me tell you something. He has been through suffering, and he has been to the cross. And so if you are going to follow Jesus, you can count on experiencing suffering and you can count on experiencing the cross. Which takes us back to Peter's premise. The Christian life is following Jesus all the way to the cross. But be encouraged because Jesus is our example and Jesus is our substitute. And Jesus is our shepherd. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word today. And we thank you for this passage that reminds us that you have not only called us to all the blessings we have in Christ, but you have called us while you've left us here in this world to suffer patiently, to suffer even when it's undeserved, to follow you even to the places where it hurts. And Father, I pray that we might be encouraged today and challenged today to be more faithful in the lesson Peter learned that when we follow you, it leads us to suffering. It leads us to the cross. But you're with us every step of the way. And we thank you for that promise that in you we can accomplish all things. We thank you in Jesus' worthy name. Amen.